Hello, I'm Katie Daly. Thanks for joining me on Bluegrass Stories, which I produce with my friends Akira Utska and Howard Parker. Wintertime, for me, brings thoughts of a warm Florida vacation. Why on earth would thousands of people go to Framingham, Massachusetts, straight into ice, snow, and cold wind in February? Well, that's where my friend Akira went over President's Day weekend, because that's where the bluegrass was, at the 34th annual Joe Val Bluegrass Festival. Akira had a chance to talk about the festival with Stan Zidonik and Jerry Katz of the Boston Bluegrass Union. I'm at the 34th annual Joval Festival in Framingham, Massachusetts. And I have Jerry Katz and Stan Zdonik. Did I say it right? Zdonik. And um, let me ask you, Jerry. This is promoted by Boston Bluegrass Union. That's correct. That's and correct. How long has uh, BBU? Had been uh, existence. Well, probably a good opportunity for me to give you some background. Yeah. Um, in 1985, Joe Val, uh, 84-85, Joe Val was ill with cancer. Right. And in the in 85, there was a fundraiser put together to help Joe with medical bills, and uh, he and it was a great success. Unfortunately, he passed away shortly thereafter. The event morphed into a small single-day festival uh, promoted by friends of his in his hometown of Waltham, Massachusetts. And uh, it remained a small single-day event in June for seven years. It was passed to a couple other parties. Then that crew reached out to to me and to BBU to to take it on. I thought it was a, a marvelous fit. Uh, with the BBU and, and our education program, um, you know, it, it recognized Joe Val, who was a um, original board member of the Boston Bluegrass Union. Okay. Joe Val and the New England Bluegrass Boys was the first concert that the BBU produced. I see. And uh, Joe was just a, a wonderful friend of the community. So the BBU took it on. Our first event was, um, uh, was I think, the ninth annual Joe Val Bluegrass Festival, and we've been hosting it ever since. It's now the 34th year, and uh, I was initially the executive director of it for a number of years, and now it's an event produced by the Boston Bluegrass Union, I see. Um, the, the board of the BBU. When did BBU start? This year is the 44th year of the BBU, in 1976. Um, and it started, um, Stan can give you a better idea of that story, okay. but it's, it was started by a, a community of, of uh, musicians and fans of the music um, who kind of broke away from Nancy Talbot's organization, uh, Boston Area Friends of Bluegrass, to be a more education-based uh, organization. So since 1976, the BBU has been hosting concerts, the Joval Festival since 1994. Uh, the festival initially was a one-day outdoor event, then it morphed into a um, a small indoor event at a hotel in Dedham, Massachusetts, just south of Boston. And for 16 years, it's been held at the Sheridan Framingham Ho- Hotel here in Framingham, Mass. And uh, it's grown um, very quickly, and it now uh, we sell the hotel uh, rooms out in two minutes and uh, have 
over um, 1,200 people per day, um, and uh, t national touring artists on uh, a main stage, regional artists and up-and-coming bands on the showcase stage, over 100 master classes, workshops, mini-concerts, education programs through the weekend, and it's a three-ring, four-ring circus. Wonderful. And uh, it's the interesting thing is, uh, as I promote the festival, I really think that the, the festival tells a wonderful story about um, honoring the legacy of Joe Val, but mm. also celebrating the vitality of the bluegrass music scene in the Northeast. Right. Um, you know, we're, we're a distance away from the, the origins of the music, but we hold the, the music very dear to our hearts and as a, something ch to cherish. And I think it comes across in um, the vibrancy and the, the love we have for the music. I mean, Boston is pretty north, up in north. How come Burgess is so popular up here? You know, it's an interesting story. And I think, I think the folks in Northern California have a similar story to tell. And I'll get to that in a second. But uh, Boston was a, a major naval port uh, after the, after, during and after World War II, which meant a lot of Southerners, because the Southerners were a major c component of Navy population. Uh, Charlestown Navy Yard was active, and also you had um, WVA and other, um, you know, high-powered radio stations getting the music into the area. A fellow by the name of Tex Logan was here in Boston, and during the summer, he performed with, uh, I think it was Ola Bell Reed mm -hmm. and some other artists down WWVA. And so he was familiar with the music. He's up here in Boston. He called B and Everett Lilly and Don Stover and said, there's work for you up here. So in the, the 50s, the Lilly brothers and Don Stover moved to town. And along with Tex Logan were the Confederate Mountaineers performing daily on local radio WCOP and also performing at night um, at local, um, I guess you'd call them dive bars, much like you have in D.C., uh, where the music was, was played in front of these displaced Southerners who were up here. Right. And, um, and that's where, and the Lilly Brothers were here in town for something on the order of 17 years, performing six or seven nights a week um, at the Hillbilly Ranch. And, and folks like Jim Rooney, and Peter Rowan and Joe Val, that's where they cut their teeth and that's where they learned from. And we all know that Lilly Brothers and the sides they did for event records and, and others were in prestige were of the same caliber as other national artists based in the South. So we learned from the masters and I think that's evident in the caliber of the music that we find in the Northeast, that, we, that the Lilly Brothers set the bar and I alluded to a few minutes ago the story that the folks in, in, the, in California can, and, and they can see the same thing when Vernon Ray came to town, moved from Nashville and Arkansas to the Northeast, uh, Northwest, and they had the masters there. And so you talk to Herb Peterson, he tells the same story that we tell. Stan, how did you start? <laughs> well, uh, you want the real story? A fake story is okay too. Just we, kidding. We were we were working. A bunch of us were working for another promoter mm -hmm. in the Boston area that was fairly dictatorial, and we didn't like it. 
So we noticed that this particular pr producer was moving more towards the big name acts, Grand Ole Opry acts, and we said, there's room for an organization that can put on concerts at the next level. And that's what we did. So we, and we, we also made sure that the, uh, the way the organization ran was very democratic because our previous experience was the opposite. We spent a summer writing by bylaws and figuring out who we wanted to hire for bands. And uh, the very first band was Joe Val and the New England Bluegrass Boys on October 3rd, 1976. Cost $2 to get in, and uh, it was a success. So, so interesting point about the organization was that it, su it supported but didn't overlap with the existing festival scene that was going on. So we were October through May concert series, right. and you know it, it fit well into the the Cajun and Bluegrass Festival in Winterhawk or Berkshire Mountain Festivals that were going on at the time. There's no overlap, so we provided kind of a, a niche to for bluegrass and for artists to get work during the course of the winter. Mm -hmm. You guys have concert series at, still at the Lexington um, Museum? Uh, our last concert was at the Lexington Museum, that's, that's correct. We're uh, rethinking the whole concert series concept because the last three shows have not been cash flow positive. Oh, really? So we're trying to figure out if it's possible to make some adjustments okay. to uh, save that, uh, which is an important part of our heritage. It's, it's expensive to put on a show, especially in Boston. I mean, the hall costs us just shy of a couple grand. The sound system, music, music licenses, publicity. So before you even start talking with the band, you've already spent several thousand dollars. Whose idea was it to have Joe Val in the middle of February when it is snowing out there? Some crazy fool. Uh, I have to admit that uh, my uh, colleague here one day said to me, what do you think about the idea of having an indoor bluegrass festival? And I responded, this is a direct quote, can we say this? Can we swear we, I think we can say I said, <laughs> you're nuts. <laughs> and to this day, I, st I stand by that. <laughs> so so the, the first indoor event was, um, as we talked about earlier, was in Dedham, Massachusetts. I forget the year. It would have been 20 years ago. And, and, two, we, had, 2000. and we had, uh, on the Friday of the festival, we had 12 inches of snow. So we started off, we just <laughs> rocked right into it. But the interesting story about uh, where the idea came from, we didn't invent the, the idea of an indoor bluegrass festival in the, in the course of the winter. I was, um, I'm a poster child for the IBMA because um, we would go to, I'd go to the IBMA and I'd pick, learn all these, you know, tricks of the trade and, and, uh, and all the, the different, uh, you know, all the different workshops, but I'm, the greatest place to get information were in the hotel suites and just the people you'd meet. And I'm in the, the suite from the boys of Indiana. <laughs> and I'm, I'm drinking Jack's homemade wine and listening to Harley Gabbard talking with Earl Harding from Wintergrass. Right. And Earl tells me that they have this great festival that's going on indoors in, in Tacoma, Washington in February. And I'm thinking... This is very cool. And then she walked, talked, walked through the economics of doing it in a hotel. You know, you've got 
the, the, the portable toilets are not an issue. You've got plumbing, you've got a hotel infrastructure, and when you look at the, the economics of it, it's it's a you know it's like holding a wedding. You if you sell enough hotel rooms, you get the the, the function rooms along with it. And uh, it was easy to do a business plan and see where it really made a lot of sense. There the, were New England had wonderful bluegrass festivals on every single weekend, but here you've got a winter time that is bereft of opportunities for for folks and the bands to get together. The uh, only downside is doing it in a hotel you're limited by the size of the rooms. In other words, hotels have walls. Pastures don't. So if you're doing an outdoor festival and you get a big influx of people, you can accommodate them. Just put them up a little further on the hill. Right. Here, once you run out of that last row of chairs, you're done. We had one year where we, that was Ricky Skaggs year, I think, where every 10 minutes we would find each other and say, well, are we sold out yet? We'd look in there and say, uh, I don't think so. We would take the the sign down, and then ten minutes later, are we sold out? Yes. Yeah, I think we are. I think we are. Can we fifty, 50 more people in? <laughs> but um, but when you're at capacity, that's that's it. But it's hard to figure out how many people come to the show because so many people were staying in the room and jamming. Well, initially we didn't have the volume of alternative events going on. Okay. So it was either the hotel room jamming. Um, and not much else. So you could really see capacity. Now we have a second stage, got something on the order of, uh, you know, uh, 100 workshops and programs that are going concurrently with the main stage and a serious, serious picking scene. And uh, and so it does siphon off a lot of people from the main stage. Um, Today with with, the 34th festival, we had uh, a seldom scene do a great set mid-afternoon and the place was packed. Um, so you can always was, count the number of tickets sold, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, if you can control who comes through the door, either to pick or do whatever, you count the tickets, you get a perfect sense of what the demand was. When you moved to Sheraton, I think you told me that you had somebody in BBU that who was specialized in booking hotel or doing conference. Yes. Nancy and Art Hebert. Right. So she... The the four of us, Cherry, myself, Mm -hmm. Nancy and Art, went on a mission for a couple couple weeks probably, visiting hotels and trying to see if we could find something that was was appropriate. And when we came here, we we knew right away that this was what we needed. Mm -hmm. So we were were hosting, prior to moving here, we were at a Holiday Inn south of Boston in Dedham. And uh, Nancy and Art were patrons at that point. And they pulled me aside and said, you guys can do much better. So at that point, we had uh, you know, run the course of a smaller hotel and were in need of a bigger space. And they, were, they dropped into our lap. We were, it was a, a real good match. And they continue to help us to this day with, uh, with hotel contra- con- um, uh, working out the contract and renewals and, mm-hmm. and maximizing our, our return. We know nothing about you know, what, what you could get from a hotel if you pushed them. And I can never understand the, the, uh, the billing, the post-event billing. And she's got a good handle on that, and we just can step back from it. Yeah, and, no, it's great. And it was always, there's always a, a, looks like a, a check coming back to us afterwards, which is nice. <laughs> I mean, the fact of the matter is, this, 
this event in this hotel is serious gravy for the, for the Marriott or Sheraton, as the case may be. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Framingham. This is not a destination. Right. And it's a business. It's a business destination hotel. This place is is very very busy during the week, but it falls off to to near zero on the weekend. So we come in on a on a Wednesday or Thursday, and put 375 rooms, you know, and and the uh, the restaurants are busy and over it's a win it's a win win situation for both parties. Over the course of the weekend, we sell very close to a thousand room nights. Most people want to stay so they can stay up late and pick and drink beer with their friends. Right. So when you run out of rooms, you're cutting your potential audience. Right. And so we'd love to have a hotel with 600 rooms, but ain't going to happen. All through the years, I know you have hired so many different bands, acts. And I heard something about J.D. Crow breaking his arm or something. Well, as a winter event, um, we're always, we're regularly challenged by either local weather or weather at a uh, locale where a band is flying from or through. Um, and so there have been each year, save for this year, knock on wood, we've, we've had issues. One year JD was coming up in his bus from Nashville, got off the bus to uh, take a break at a, um, uh, a stop somewhere and he slipped on some ice and, and cracked his elbow. And so, you know, of course, they couldn't perform. We had to find someone else to fill in. Um, other times it's been, uh, a couple of years ago, we had Del McCurry signed up to play, and we worked for hours. The whole day on the phone. Yep. It was basically me and Jerry and uh, their, their manager and their agent. Mm -hmm. And we tried every route from Nashville to here. And either the, the flights were grounded or the, the rental car company said, no, we're not going to rent you a car. And we, so always, we failed. It was going, we, had, we, had, we were trying to get them into Boston, Providence, Rhode Island, Manchester, New Hampshire, Albany, New York. All locales are probably you know, two hours plus drive. Just couldn't do it. And eventually I said, you know, we could work this to death. I hate to use that word. We would really work this, but... We don't want to see someone like Dell get hurt on our, right? you know, yeah. coming this way. So we ended up, um, it was the last time the Seldom Seen performed on the main stage at Joe Allen. Dudley put together a Cracker Jack finale with the bands that were here on site. Oh, neat. And, you know, and magic was made at the festival. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hear, to hear that particular mix of bands. Another time... Uh, there was a band that couldn't make it, and we uh, had uh, we had uh, Audie Blaylock and James King do the Stanley Brothers and Jimmy Martin songbooks. And again, you know, you, you make um, you know, uh, you have lemons, you make lemonade, and uh, and those are the events that people talk about, right. and I think yeah. set you apart. And we have, we're we're blessed with having the Rounders. Ken, Bill, and Marion in the area, and we've we've worked with them. I know one year, uh, Russell Moore from Third Time Out lost his voice the day before their appearance at Joe Val, so we had to go searching for a band. And Ken called uh, uh, what's Mattingly's first name, Jimmy Jimmy. Ma Jimmy Mattingly, and said, "You guys got this new band, uh, you know, that Round is working with called the Grascals. They hadn't performed out, and they got on a plane, came up here, and they debuted at Joe Val." 
You know, I, th I think that the cool thing about the festival is that we, it honors the legacy of, through, I see it through Stan's, uh, you know, words and, and emotions, a great man, Joe Val, who is a humble friend of, and, and performer, cut down, you know, years before he should have, and the festival celebrates his legacy, and I think we really take to heart the mission of presenting great music on the stage, it's a traditional, we're, we're, well, except that you see folks like the Gibsons and Frank Sullivan and Tony Trishke on the, the bill, we really take to heart the mission of presenting traditional bluegrass music of the highest standard. The, the question that we ask is, would Joe approve of this act? And while he was extremely traditional in his own approach, he appreciated the more modern avant-garde I mean, he's the one who did Beatle Country. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. We like to think humbly that because we have a festival with his name on it, right. that that had some small part in getting him the induction into the IBMM, mm -hmm. IBMA Hall of Fame. Right. And you guys put so much effort on Kids Academy. I well, the DB is an education organization, and... Um, that, that has been what, having a kids' academy and being we were, we didn't invent the concept, but we take to heart that mission of training the next generation of pickers, and so an active program. Uh, it's depending upon the year. It's there's been, and depending upon the parents, there's an active year-round program. It's kind of it, uh, it's waned a little bit. We really need to do jumpstart the the through the year program, but a real strong program here at Joval that attracts kids from all over. Yeah. So the year-round program is in process now, or are you starting? I think we need to revisit and jumpstart it again. Okay. Um, you know, it's you, you had some kids. Well, like, we have kids that have cycled through, but it's cool because you have kids like K Gabe Hirschfield who came in as a you know ten-year-old, probably eleven years old, and he's now performing professionally with uh, right. Lonely Heart String Band and others that are out there doing that. So it really has proven a, a, a great way of, of, of kids to get into the music. Maybe their parents are familiar with it, or maybe they have a teacher that, um, music instructor that said this is a great way to, to learn bluegrass. So, mm -hmm. um, and we've had uh, high school programs, uh, college programs, you know, it depends Bluegr on the Bluegrass the in the schools, yeah. mm -hmm. we've done some of that. I know this is, isn't directly re relevant, but uh, as an educational 501c3, I, I believe that our workshop program is the strongest I've, I've ever seen, the strongest in the country, the strongest in the world. How many festivals do you know that have 80 or 90 workshops over the course of the event? Right, right. And because this is indoors, the workshop, the character of the workshop is somewhat different. In a summer festival, the workshops attract 300 people who want to see the performers demonstrate some songs. Our rooms hold about 40 people. So the people who get in are in a much more intimate setting with the, with the teacher. Hands-on. Hand, Hands-on or, you know, a real conversation instead of, you know, we use this kind of pick. Right. And, and that's different and I think better in line with our, our mission. It's, we basically create a school downstairs mm -hmm. over the course of the event. I know you guys are tired after three, four days or six months. And really appreciate you taking time to talk to me and Howard. 
Yep, uh, this is Howard. Uh, uh, a question. Uh, one of the most memorable shows that I saw was, I think, uh, actually was the first public performance for Sister Sadie. And I think you guys actually showcased them uh, first uh, up here in Joe Val. I'm just curious um, how that came to be and, and how, you, how you came to know the band. Well, I, I, I think this is the case. I think I was talking to Dale Ann because she's one of our, uh, one of our more popular performers. And uh, she had mentioned that she was working with the other women. And uh, I guess, I don't know, it was probably me who, who uh, recognized that could be a cool thing to, to debut. And so I said, yeah, can, are you trying to, to tour this or is this just a, a one-off? She said, no, we're, we're touring. So we hired her. And that, by the way, is something that we try to do in general. So this weekend, you'll, you'll note that many of, the, well, a significant number of bands were, were unknowns. The Appalachian Roadshow, great act. Yes. Nobody knew who they were. This is their first festival performance. Yeah. Uh, Sean, Sean, Jesse Brock. Jesse Brock, same idea. Yep. Sean Lane and uh, Richard Bennett. This is their first, their actually first performance. So I think it's a... I think High Fidelity. Right. Great band. Yeah. Carolina Blue is their first performance in, in this area, I think. And uh, So as I, if our mission is to educate, part of education is to inform the Boston public about what's going on That's in great. bluegrass. And so by finding out about new units, which, by the way, IBMA is great for, mm -hmm. uh, finding out about new units and hiring them early, and sort of giving them their, their first initial nudge feels to be in line with our mission. I think we also uh, recognize the festival can be a uh, resume builder for a lot of bands. And, oh, yeah. And, and we create an environment here that's uh, kind of a mini IBMA. So we've got festival promoters that are here. Many bands get that initial gig from the BBU, but then they lock in because it's in wintertime and some bands, some festivals probably still have space available. Right. They end up walking away with two or three other gigs for the summer. That's great. Um, so we're... As much as we love to see what's going on in the main stage, some of the great things are taking place in the green room where we're building those relationships and giving the bands the opportunity to, to grow. Um, and just, you know, it's a, as I said, it's a, it's a three or four ring circus, and that's one of the key things is what's going on, the business side of things that's going on. Or sign up with Rounder. <laughs> it's happened. It's happened. You know, but Rounders, you'll, you'll regularly see folks huddling in corners talking about things. It's a place for Rounder to catch up with their artists that are on tour. Yeah. It's also a chance for them to see new bands. I, I would imagine the Lonely Heart String Band, uh, who we promoted uh, and worked with early on, the, the relationship probably developed for them to sign with Rounder through us. And, uh, you know, so we, I think we, that's right. I think we, we serve a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, constituents with the festival. Right. Well, thank you very much for um, promoting bluegrass in a lot of different ways, you know, not only just having the audience come in and see the bands that they had never seen, but educational portion, that's wonderful. And also, thank you for talking to us tonight after a long weekend. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure talking with you. Yeah. It's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
That was Akira Otsuka with Stan Zidonik and Jerry Katz of the Boston Bluegrass Union. Mark your calendars now for President's Day weekend 2020 for the 35th annual Joe Val Festival. I'm Katie Daly. Thanks for listening to Bluegrass Stories.